This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Being from Central Oahu, they're starting to do a lot more agriculture technology. We're getting a value-added center. Ag tech is pretty much the new word that everybody's saying. They don't want you to only think that agriculture is traditional farming in the soil. You can grow things hydroponically, you can do vertical towers. There's something called farm bots, there's drones. There's all this technology that encompasses agriculture that I want my students to understand. I want them to know if they can code, they can run a robot that can go ahead and farm for you. If you can check pH and TDS, then you can do your hydroponics. If you understand cooling temperatures, your greenhouses, you can run the fans, you can get everything running all at your computer. You don't technically need to be there. You can have machines that go ahead and water, fertilize for you, spray if you're doing non-organic. But just giving them those ideas and those options of what's out there, what they can do, and not just think that agriculture is a pineapple fields. This is Josh Rapoon, and you're listening to the What School Could Be podcast. Before we start the show, please consider joining the rapidly growing What School Could Be global online community. Simply install the What School Could Be app on your smart device or go to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org. I look forward to seeing you there. My guest today is Jackie Freitas, an extraordinary natural resource teacher at Lelehua High School, which she also graduated from. Lelehua is on the island of Oahu in the state of Hawaii. One of the most famous chefs in the world, Alan Wong, after observing Jackie's work, wrote that her students had, quote, taken to her, which is truly a special compliment. Jackie grew up and attended elementary, middle, and high school in her home community of Wahiwa, which is in the central plains of Oahu. For well over a hundred years, This area was the source of two of Hawaii's primary exports, pineapple and sugarcane. Today, Jackie is part of the greater Hawaii movement to diversify agriculture and make the Hawaiian Islands self-sustaining and a place where some of the most cutting-edge work in agriculture happens. In addition to graduating from Lelehua High School, where she now teaches, Jackie has a bachelor's in elementary education from the University of Hawaii, West Oahu, and a master's in secondary education with an emphasis in science from the University of Phoenix. Jackie's CTE teaching line includes the foundation of agriculture, small animal systems, principles of food production, and natural resources and wildlife management. Grant Toyooka, one of Jackie's mentors, a complex area public school resource teacher and ag tech project manager, said the following about Jackie. Jackie Freitas is the natural resource at Lelehua High School, embodying agriculture in every facet. Being an alum, her roots run deep for the students and the greater Wahiawa community. Her desire to provide opportunities for her students and visiting students to successfully grow produce while enhancing their leadership skills 
paves the way for the agriculture leaders of tomorrow who will create a sustainable future. Her dedication to agriculture's ability to thrive in central Oahu drives her to literally and metaphorically cultivate the landscape so that both the fields and the students are ready to grow. Being a beacon of leadership, humility, and service, Jackie Freitas brings agriculture to life and top of mind for the benefit of students and families in central Oahu. Thank you, Grant, for that awesome accolade. And now, here is my conversation with the innovative, creative, and imaginative Hawaii public school educator, mentor, guide, and coach, Jackie Freitas. Jackie, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. Thank you for having me. So Jackie, your growing up story is very, very compelling. And I bet we could spend an hour just on the many stories of your youth and your family. But for the purposes of today's conversation, I want to focus on just a few. So you talked about your father as being a workaholic, oftentimes gone all day, every day. And you also talked about spending time with him outdoors and how that shaped your early life. So we in education talk a lot about kids finding their passion, but I don't think we talk enough about where passions might actually come from. So it sounds like your passion for agriculture and the land started with time with your father. So what do you remember about that time with him and your discovery of a passion for the fruits of the land? Yes. So growing up, my dad was never home. He was always working. He was a heavy equipment operator. So I never got to see him. He would work day in, day out. If it was raining outside, I thought he'd be home, but he would go and do a side job on another side of the island that wasn't raining. He would constantly be working. So in high school, he had retired from heavy equipment and started volunteering here at Lenovo High School with the previous agriculture teacher, Mr. Wong. I had just become a freshman in the, at Lelehua and I found this moment to be a time where I could spend with him. So I had a lot more electives I wanted to take, but I decided to take agriculture just so I could spend time with him, hang out with him, talk story with him. I never thought it would be a career pathway for me. I just thought of it as a time that I can be with him. Just spending the time with him, seeing how he works with his hands in the ground. Yes, we were constantly yelling at each other, because we are very stubborn, but just seeing him out there working with other students, it made me proud to call him my dad. And my father is very, is on the older side. He had me when he was 50. So I always thought of him as my huge role model. So, so being able to do tarot with him and then going in and cooking the tarot and then making poi and then selling the poi, that was our bonding. When we could do Thanksgiving emu, for the school, digging the hole together, putting things in the ground, doing our vegetables and learning hydroponics together. It was rewarding for me. So I was just me not thinking anything about my future. I just thought it was spending time with my dad. 
Wow. That's so awesome, Jackie. You know, and it's really funny how when I do these interviews with educators, inevitably I find these alignments between our lives. It's so amazing, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, I went to high school. I really did not like it. I didn't want to be there. And mostly I just wanted to get home in the afternoon to the other side of the island, to Kaneohe, where I was, you know, where I grew up. And and a lot of that time, my dad had already gotten home and we lived on a pretty big piece of property. And my dad was a rock wall builder. And we used to build rock walls together. And that was the same thing, right? It was time with my dad. And yes, we used to yell at each other as well (laughs) because we were both through the, you know, super stubborn. But I think out of that, what's so compelling is that out of that comes this kind of love of what you're doing and of the work that you were doing with your hands. But it's so important to think about it as doing it with somebody that and somebody that you care about. That's very cool. So your life story so far is tied closely to your home community of Wahiwa. So what was it like growing up in this small rural community in central Oahu? It's amazing. Wahiwa is still amazing. We're very tight-knit. Wahiwa is an older community. Mm-hmm. You still have your mamas and papas all living up the heights and just being able to ride your bike to school, knowing everybody here, and then now having my students here. And I'm like, I, I went to school with your mom. I went to You know, it's we're very tight-knit. We're, we're very supportive for athletics. We're very supportive for any type of community event. Wahiwa shows up. And that's what I love about it. When we have farmers markets, any type of activity, a lot of Wahiwa community members come out to support. Even when I just go outside of the school to sell vegetables, everybody will stop to purchase because it's coming from Wahiwa. It's coming from the I've had conversations with other guests about the idea that it takes a village to raise a child. And it sounds like Wahiwa was the village that raised you. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I was born and raised, never really left Wahiwa. Mm -hmm. I still currently live in Wahiwa. I live up the road from the school. I'm trying to find a house even closer to the school. Mm. So I can barely just walk across the street and I'll be at work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And so in addition to your high school participation with the National Honor Society and your love of volleyball, you got involved in an organization called the Future Farmers of America, which frankly, I'd never heard of. So how did that happen? And what are your memories of those first events, those classes or activities associated with the FFA? What was that like? In high school, FFA had to do with agriculture. So it was an after-school program. So I would come here after school, before volleyball practice, at least stay an hour before practice. And we would do competition, whether it's agriculture demonstration, creed recitation, parliamentary procedure. We would stick together as that class and we practice different things to compete against other schools districtly as well as states. Mm. Once you pass states and you get first place, then you would go to nationals, which is usually in October. And you would compete nationally in different contests in the agriculture field. Mm. I love those contests. I got really into them because my dad was a future FFA member. And he really pushed that on me. And it really helped me with public speaking. It helped me really open up my eyes to agriculture being more than just soil. You know, agriculture is technology. Agriculture has a lot of leadership, career development events that you can prosper as a student that really builds your self-esteem, builds your resume Mm. and makes you more noticeable towards hiring companies because you have experienced different things that this organization has provided. Mm. What's an example of a competition in agriculture? Like what are you competing for? What is that all about? 
So one of the competitions would be creed recitation. You had to memorize five paragraphs, which is a creed, what you believe in as an agriculture student. I believe in the FFA, mm. what the organization stands for. And it's all memorized. You ask one question from any of the five paragraphs and you have to be able to answer that question to these judges, but you have to say it with meaning. You have to say it with enthusiasm. Your question, your answers have to come out fluently. So it's all really preparing you for prepared public speaking, any type of speaking event, how you present yourself. Mm. You'd have to be an official dress, which was a corduroy jacket, a black pencil skirt to your knee, black pantyhose, black heels. (laughs) (laughs) And when you see those blue corduroy jackets all over, it's amazing. And these kids, very proud to wear those blue corduroy jackets. And this was an opportunity for you to meet other future farmers of America. Yes. So I was state president, state secretary. I never ran for nationals. That was a very, very honorable thing to go ahead and do. But I did get to become state president and state secretary for two years. Wow. That's so amazing. I feel proud all of a sudden. (laughs) Because again, you know, I grew up, I grew up on the Windward side and it was just a very much kind of a a life on the land. And all of my preparation, Jackie, for today really brought up a lot of memories for me of time that I spent with my own family, my brothers who are farmers on the Windward side and all of that. So it it was very, very cool memories that were coming up. So kind of along the same lines, In the summer of 2007, some 15 years ago, you served as a team leader at Kupu, which is a remarkable award-winning nonprofit program based in Hawaii, whose name means to sprout or to grow, and whose mission is to preserve the land and empower youth. So what was your relationship to the high school students you served in this program, and what did you do each day? And what can you tell our listeners about the value of programs like Kupu, which I'm sure are all over the world, very different, each one, I'm sure, to the lives of the kids that they serve? Kupu is an amazing organization. It really is. It really gives the students an outside perspective on our environment all over the islands. Not only Oahu, they focus on all the islands. I was a group leader. So I had, I believe, 10 students. I was in college. Mm. And every day I would have a pickup spot and we'd all load up into our 15 passenger van and I would drive them to different locations every day to either do eradication of invasives. We would be planting natives. We would be camping up the mountains, looking for native plants, restoring native plants, working in the waters, taking out any invasive aspects. We did CPR training. We were able to go to Koho'olawe. It, it was an amazing experience being able to work with these students. And it was an all day, not just a couple hour a day thing. It was from eight in the morning to four in the afternoon, five days a week. If you went camping, sometimes you went seven days a week. It was very intense, but very fulfilling, very rewarding experience. I recommend it to all my high school students now. Every time when I get the flyers, I'm please go ahead and try for this. And a lot of my students have applied and have gotten positions. Mm -hmm. So it was just a really good experience during the summer for them to go ahead and do, they were able to get a stipend or they got college credits if they continue to do like the paperwork part of the program, which I also do so I could reward and get some college credits for it. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the 
specific skills and and habits and dispositions that that kind of experience helps build in kids that will ultimately be lifelong, you know, that they'll carry with them in their in their suitcase, if you will, as they go through the the arc or the journey of their lives. That experience really gets you to do teamwork. Mm. There are days when it is so hot, you do not want to walk up a mountain to be cutting down strawberry guava, but your team pushes you and you're, you become a family, you work hard together and you're like, okay, this is the job we need to get done. We put our minds to it. We can accomplish this goal today. Every day we set goals for each other. Okay. This is our goal. This is what we have to do. Maybe we're not able to do the full hundred percent, but our goal today is at least to get 75% of this area completed. Mm. And just being able to set goals for yourself, being able to work as a team, motivate each other. Some days it was just, okay, guys, if we finish this, we're going to go to McDonald's and get ice cream. (laughs) Because for the amount of work that we had to do and that mountain we had to climb to get all that, we're going to go get an ice cream cone after Mm. this. And I take them down to McDonald's after. And it was just a way for us to sit down, reflect about the day, knowing, oh, we may have to go back there tomorrow. So how are we going to improve? So it's always about reflecting and being able to talk to one another, prepare ourselves mentally as well as physically, because it is a lot of physical labor that your body just needs to get used to. Wow, that's so awesome. So you referenced this a second ago, but I actually want to follow up with a specific question. So as part of your work for Kupu, you did land reclamation work and planted trees on the island of Kaha'ulawe in Hawaii, which is a small island that for decades was used by the U.S. Navy for target practice, but became the center of the Hawaiian Renaissance, which saw the reemergence of the Hawaiian culture. So I wonder if you can share with our listeners the meaning of that experience. Like, how did that moment back in 2007 shape you and possibly influence the development of what would eventually become Teacher Jackie? experience was very rewarding. We were able to catch a boat to get to the island. Then we had to swim into the island. The boat was not able to dock. So you're pretty much going onto an island that is bare bones. You're just looking at a flat surface. There's not a lot of trees. It's just dirt. And you still see remnants of, they have it where we camped, of the shells and the missiles and everything all there. But then you're able to go out together in pods and you're driving out to these areas where they're starting to get greenery and you're starting to see it flourish. Mm. And just one section of the island slowly but surely, because they weren't able to go up for a little while. They were only able to take up so many kids at a time. Mm -hmm. And when you're going up with students, you only can do so much because the students need to be able to understand what they're doing. You can't just be, okay, we're planting, we're planting, we're planting. They need to understand what they're planting, how to plant it, how we're going to take care of it, because these native trees are not easy to come by, especially in the type of soil that Koho'olabe has. So being able to understand that aspect and starting small, okay, we're going to plant these areas, we're going to water it, we're really going to take our time with this area and slowly work, really made me open my eyes like, okay, as a teacher that I want to become, because I was in the education field, I need to really slow down with my students. Mm. Let them know, okay, we're going to slowly, this is how we're going to take care of this plant. We are going to nurture it. There's different things we can do to help it. But really taking the time to slow down, talk about it, have the students understand what they're doing. Not just do it, 
And then when you ask them, what do we do? And they're like, I don't know. You told us to do this. Yeah. No, you want them to be able to reflect and be able to understand. I did this because it helped this and it's going to make this bigger. So they see the big picture. Mm. And we also want our listeners to know that while you were doing that, Kaho'olawe still has live ordinance underneath the surface of the land of the soil. And yes. that all of the work that you have to do is done in that heightened security where you have to be really careful about where you are and what has already been reclaimed already and so on. So, you know, there's that. I, I was there in 1999 with a group of land conservationists and it was a remarkable experience for me. But there was that heightened element of like, you really got to be Kilo. You really got to be paying attention to what's going on around you, right? Yes. Yeah. Amazing experience. So Jackie, as I did my research for today's conversation, I learned a great deal about agriculture in Hawaii that I did not know. <laughs> and and the complex ag issues the 50th state faces. So my inquiry got me thinking about all sorts of questions related to young people and agriculture and about the future farmers of Hawaii and the problems they will need to solve in the future of ag that they will shape. So given your perch directing Lelehua's CTE Ag and Natural Resources Pathway, here are a series of questions that I think our listeners would want me to ask, okay? So First one is, what are the jobs of the future in agriculture and natural resource management that you're talking to your kids about? Being from central Oahu, they're starting to do a lot more agriculture technology. We're getting a value-added center. Ag tech is pretty much the new word that everybody's saying. They don't want you to only think that agriculture is traditional farming in the soil. You can grow things hydroponically. You can do vertical towers. There's something called farm bots. There's drones. There's all this technology that encompasses agriculture that I want my students to understand. I want them to know if they can code, they can run a robot that can go ahead and farm for you. If you can check pH and TDS, then you can do your hydroponics. If you understand cooling temperatures, your greenhouses, you can run the fans, you can get everything running all at your computer. You don't technically need to be there. You can have machines that go ahead and water, fertilize for you, spray if you're doing non-organic, but just giving them those ideas and those options of what's out there, what they can do, and not just think that agriculture is the pineapple fields. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's what, being so close to Dole, I have a feeling that's what a lot of my students' mentality is. Like, I don't want to be a pineapple picker, you know, but that's where we all started and that's where we're growing from. So along the way, while you're doing this, like, and again, you've kind of alluded to this before when you're talking about kupu, but what specific skills are you coaching up with your students as you expose them to all of these different ag tech variations that really represent opportunities for them in the future? My real thing that I like to have my students do is I want you to be personable. You need to be hardworking and you need to be able to communicate. That is the main thing. In any job that you do, it doesn't have to be agriculture, but I just want you to know if you're able to communicate with somebody, you're a team player, and you're able to have work ethic. I keep stressing work ethic. It doesn't matter. You can learn things on the way. But if you do not have a good work ethic, mm. you are not desirable for any job that comes your way. You have to be able to understand that these jobs need to get done, and you need to have the mindset to be, okay, I can get this done. I'm going to do it to my fullest potential and not half a kole it. I'm mm. going to work hard to do it. 
I'm going to start it. I'm going to clean up and I'm going to leave my work area cleaner than what I started with. Mm. That is what I keep stressing to my students. I said, I don't care what you folks do. As long as you're successful in what you want to do, I just want to give you the soft skills and the skills that will make you viable person in our community. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And so in what ways do you hope your students will shape the future of ag in the state of Hawaii? Like how much of this shaping do you leave to them to work out later? And how much of it are you actually addressing now? With my students, I'm very open. I keep up with how ag is constantly changing. And I try to bring in as much of the things that they could use on the outside into my classroom. So we're bringing in farm bots where we have hydroponics, we do traditional, we're doing organic, we're doing Korean natural farming. We have a tunnel house that they can operate with machines and we are having a solar powered greenhouse. I'm giving them all these options. These are what you can do in the agriculture field. This is how technology is changing. It's constantly changing. I'm giving you guys the opportunity to explore and see if this is something that you want to pursue. I'm just giving them touches of it. You know, mm. so they see that it's out there and they can, is this really a job? Yes. And then I would direct them. If you want to do this, you can go to this agency and this is what they focus on. Mm. You can go to this school to get this degree. This is what they focus on. I just like to give them the experiences that they can grow up on. Wow. But you, it, it sounds to me like no matter what, you're with them along the journey, right? Yes. I'm, a lot of them call me Mama Jackie. <laughs> I am, I treat them as if they were my own student, as if they're my own personal children. I am very connected to these students. And I think that's why our program has grown. When I first started, we only had 60 students in my program. Now we're up to almost 200. Wow. That's just, and all of a sudden I'm having Jackie these flashbacks <laughs> to, again, when I left high school, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And I'd never had anything like this when I was in high school. It was just chemistry, biology, history, you know, whatever, just marching from one class to another without any sense of relevance. But I came very close to deciding to go into kind of landscaping, right? Because there was a there was an academy on Kauai that I was super interested in. And I'm just thinking back to that, you know, if I'd had somebody like you, the pathway of my life might be different, you know, you just have those moments. So, okay. So one more question before we go to break, and this is again, related to the work that you're doing with your students. And I think this is a perfect segue to something that you mentioned a second ago. So this seems crazy to ask maybe, but let's say I give you Jackie a blank check, meaning a full ride to spend the next year, a sabbatical year traveling the world, possibly with some students, to learn more about agriculture, ag tech, and the great issues people face on the various continents related to food sustainability. So where would you go and what would you be looking for? What would you want to explore and know more? Japan. I could tell you that is <laughs> <Okay>. on my... <laughs> Japan is constantly doing remarkable things with ag tech. They're known for the best strawberries, the best mangoes, all in their greenhouses. And just being able to go there, go to the farms, seeing how they do it. That is a dream that I would love to take students to go and see. Just being there and being able to explore, seeing how these, these old farmers are able to do these things. And they're still kind of doing it the old-fashioned way, but with a little bit of technology, just knowing all their mana'o that they gave, just being there to communicate, talk story, to see how 
what they're doing up there, I can bring home into here. Mm. That, that's what I would love to do. But mm. Japan is my number one spot I would want to go to. So I may, I, this might sound kind of, I mean, a negative note before we go to break, but are you also exposing your students to some of the agricultural practices that we see perhaps in the United States on the continent or in Europe, possibly even in South America, that, you know, big ag that ultimately results in some destruction of the land or a lot of destruction of the land? Like, is that also part of what you're opening them up to is what those issues are? Conventional farming, I'm thinking is what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So here we are not allowed to spray any type of pesticide that is not organic. I'm in the process of being 100% organically certified, which is a three-year process. So previously, yes, we were doing a conventional, meaning I was putting in like conventional fertilizers, triple 20, but now I'm, I'm pulling away and we're doing a lot more sea kelp and all that. But I do give the students the option. I do tell them, but we do not practice those things here. That's why we do more Korean natural farming. Other practices, they know about it. I talk about it. They compare and contrast and they make the ultimate decision. But here at Lelehua, I'm in the process of converting to 100% organic. Mm-hmm. And so so definitely they know about what these other practices are you know, around the world, but yeah. you are taking them in a direction that is very definitely about planet Earth and sustainability. Yes. And when GMOs was a very hot topic, that yeah. was something that I did address and I did not give them any of my opinions. I told them, this is this and this is ours. You folks make the decision. I'm giving you folks the studies that have been sought, but yeah. it's your decision overall what you agree on. And I've even taken them on a field trip to Monsanto many times just so they are, mm-hmm. okay, this is it. And they were able to voice their opinions there as well and ask the hard questions. That's awesome, Jackie. I taught an economics course at one point in high school, and I dropped my students directly into the GMO debate because it's a big money debate. There's big economics around that. And that was really one of the most fascinating deep dives into agriculture in Hawaii that came very unexpectedly for them because they thought they were taking an economics course, you know? But that's what (laughs) happens when you're a teacher. You lead people down a different path, and then they get into exploration and inquiry. So that's awesome. So, hey, everyone, stay with us. We'll be back with more questions for Jackie Freitas. Hi, fellow educators. I'm Steve Shapiro. And like you, I'm excited about the possibilities of what school could be. Please check out my podcast, Experience Matters, where I talk to guests ranging from big national thinkers like Daniel Pink and Tony Wagner to recent high school graduates about the most profound learning experiences of their youth. Then we dig into the implications for how we can reshape schools to produce powerful breakthrough learning for all of our students. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, experience matters. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi friends, this is Toy Hirschman from EntreEd. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. 
As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, we are back with Jackie Freitas, who facilitates and directs a CTE agriculture, food, and natural resources pathway at Lelehua High School on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. So Jackie, you shared with me a super thoughtful piece of writing in which you explained your philosophy of education, which sits at the heart of your teaching practice. And in your explanation, you talked about different learning styles, but then you linked these differentiations to two concepts, which are group work and teacher modeling. So the world famous chef, Alan Wong, visited your program, which made me wonder if explaining your take on learning styles, teacher modeling, and group work is like explaining one of his complex Michelin star menus, right? So, but let's give it a shot. So how do these three philosophies of teaching translate into a practice whose themes are agriculture and natural resource management? How do they come together? With natural resources, you are given a plethora of different students, different learning styles, different way of learning. You have your low sped students who really need the help. And you have your high, I call them high makamaka students, Mm -hmm. as well as your middle. So you have a plethora of students in your classroom. You have to be able as a teacher to reach all those students throughout this whole spectrum that you have sitting in your classroom. Mm -hmm. I have found it that if I am able to have them work together in groups where I have a high, a low, a medium, maybe a couple mediums together, I have noticed that my highs really cling on to those lows and they work together Mm. very, very well. As long as I am doing a modeling approach where I'm in front showing them exactly, this is what I kind of expect you to do. I need you guys to kind of replicate or if you guys want to modify, but this is your outcome at the end. They are able to understand and grasp the tasks at hand. Being a teacher, you have to be very flexible. Some students are a lot faster than others. You have to take that into consideration in anything you do, anything that you teach. But in agriculture, I have noticed that if I'm able to work them in groups, I'm able to give them checklists and say, hey, group one, you folks are taking care of this. I'll show you guys. All right, you got? I'm good. I'm leaving you guys. I'm going to go to my next group. Group two, you guys are doing this. We have a three and a half acre farm. If I had everybody just focusing on one thing, nothing would get done on our farm Mm. or just minimal aspects would get done. I have hydroponics, aquaponics, traditional farming, Korean natural farming, animals, floriculture all over. I need to be able to group these kids together, build a relationship with these groups so they are very well bonded, very able to work with each other. If I notice there's a bad seed in the group, I kind of have to sit there and kind of talk to them. Okay, this is your group. We need to be able to work together. Whatever differences you have, we need to squash that now because you guys are this group. You need to work together to complete this task. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that they're able to go out and do what they need to do. Come back in. We sit down. We reflect. How was our day? What would you guys grade yourself? Give me your grades. And they're looking at me like, you're not going to give us a grade? No. You guys work together. Well, one to 10. What would you give yourself? Well, miss, I think I gave myself a 10 because we worked together and they were able to explain it to me. 
Mm. All right, cool. I give you a 10. Some of them are like, oh, I give myself an eight. And I'm like, no, I'm giving you a 10. They're like, why? I seen you do this, this, and I didn't ask you to do that. And you got it accomplished. I'm giving you the 10. They're like, oh. So they notice that I'm I'm not there with them, but I'm observing all around the farm, I'm constantly walking around, checking on my groups. And I'm observing each one. Mm. And I'm able to kind of assess them and watch them. And that's what they love. They're like, wow, you really... I said, yes, I pay attention. I know what you guys can do. I, you guys are capable of doing, and you guys can do it. Wow, Jackie. So, and along the way, while this is all happening... It feels to me like one of the other things that they're picking up is that life is a series of layers, interlocking things that are all happening at the same time. Life is never one focus on one thing and then you move on to another thing. It's always a million things that are happening. And in constructing it that way, you're actually skilling them up to be able to deal with the many parts of life that happen day to day, right? Yes. I tell them when you guys go to work, your boss will not stand over your shoulder to tell you exactly what needs to get done. They may show you once and then you're kind of on your own to make sure you understand how to do it. If you don't understand, you ask your questions. That is exactly how I run this program. Mm. This is what needs to get done. We're going to repot Ethereum's. Here, this is what needs to get done. You guys figure out your chain of events. Who's potting? Who's doing this? Who's doing this? And this is the completed product and it needs to be in this greenhouse water by the end of the day. Wow. All right, miss, got it. And they go ahead and do it. I check their tables. Perfect, guys. Great job. We sit down, we reflect. On to the next class. <laughs> right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. So quick question before we get into another section, with it, which has to do with a, a gear grant that you were part of. But before we go there, you've, you've written about how finding learning in community is what makes meaning and provides relevance to young people. So I'm curious... What is the circumference of community for you? Like your campus, outside your campus, the state, the nation, the world. And how has this changed as a result of COVID and Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all of that? Like, did the, did the world get bigger? Did community as part of learning get bigger? Where, where do you draw those lines? Wahiwa is a very small community. It is very tight-knit community. And pre-COVID, we were doing everything we could for the Wahiwa community. My students would go to the farmers, would go to the market down to Tamora's and Fulan, check out their vegetable prices, come back to me and say, all right, miss, this price is going for this per pound. All right, we'll make sure we're going lower than that price. Mm. So we make sure our mamas and papas are able to afford fresh produce. We do that constantly. We still do that. We send our produce up to Peterson Egg Farm, who is right up the street from us. They sell my produce and they don't take any cut. The reason why they're like, Jackie, your produce brings people from Waikiki to come and buy produce. I'm like, really? They're coming from Waikiki? Yeah, they buy eggs and they're buying produce. Wow. Can you? So I would bring produce there twice a week. My special ed department, they would be in the front of the school selling produce to the people on the side of the road. And I would give them 10% of whatever they're selling out there to go to their program. Wahiwa really, really takes care of the Lelevo High School aspect. Mm. When it comes to COVID, there was a lot of stuff that I had to change. I had no students here on campus. So I had three and a half acres to maintain myself, which there was no way I could do it. So I stopped planting for a year. I just did cover crops in all the fields just so something was in the ground giving nutrients, but I, there was no way I could personally do this whole thing myself. So I focused on a small section of just flowers. And my dad, who is still here with me, he's my, my PPT, he was like, why are you doing flowers? 
And I said, you know what? I really don't know. This is something I want to learn about. He goes, but we can't eat flowers. I go, but they make me happy. And he just kind of looked at me and I was teaching and we were, I would be Zooming, video calling with my students and they would be researching different flowers and we'd be bringing up my floriculture unit. And they were really into it, even though they were at home. They were learning different flowers and I would bring in the tubers that they were researching and they're like, did you really go get Dahlia tubers? I'm like, yeah, you guys researched it. It looked like a cool flower. I ordered them and now they're here. So <laughs> teach me how, how am I supposed to plant these? And they're like, oh, so they were pretty much teaching me. They're like, okay, miss, it says that we have to plant them one foot apart. Do, all right. So I'm doing that while they're, and they're just amazed about it. And then when I would start picking the flowers, they would bloom and I would start making bouquets. I would have wheelbarrows of dahlias and they don't grow well in Hawaii because of how hot we are, but they're doing awesome in Waiwa. So I would have all these dahlias making arrangements and I would take them to Peterson Egg Farm and I would have a stand and I would sell the flowers. And my students were like, miss, I don't know if people are going to buy them because it's hard. Like people don't have money. I said, oh, we'll try. So I would sell a bouquet of flowers for $15 and I would have about 10 dahlias, huge dinner plate dahlias. Bundle them all up, put a sticker on it that says made it uh, grown in Waiwa. And I would sell out in an hour. I would have maybe 40 or 50 bouquets and I would sell out. And the next day at class, I would tell them, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. How do people have money to afford? I said, because people are not able to go out and meet people, I've noticed that flowers make them happy. I'm like, same thing with me growing it. So it made me happy growing them. So just having flowers that they're able to bring in their home made people happy. So we continue to do that now. We have all kinds of tropicals growing all right now all over the farm. Mm. Wow. That's just, that's such an awesome story, Jackie. So it's actually a perfect segue into this next section here, which has to do with something called the gear grant. So let me set this up a little bit. So we all know that as a result of COVID-19 and the pandemic, the federal government granted literally billions of dollars to the 50 states for pandemic relief. And millions of those billions were earmarked for education. And here in Hawaii, Governor David Ige engineered a fund he called the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, or GEAR. And you were part of an effort to apply for GEAR funds. So this was a little more than a year ago. So I thought it would be cool for our listeners, some of whom might be applying for innovation grants in other states or other parts of the world, to hear how you responded, you and the others who were part of this, responded to the three questions asked in the application. And as I read your application, I kept thinking, geez, this is an amazing pandemic pivot. So here are the three application questions and some follow-ups. Okay, so the first question that you were asked was, what specific problem related to the impact of COVID-19 are you trying to solve? So I believe for that answer, I wanted to be able to supply food at a reasonable cost, if not given, give students food in our Wahiwa community, which was the buy one, give one program. Mm -hmm. So for that one, I was able to plant vegetables and for every box that was purchased, and I believe the boxes were $25 and it had about a good eight to 10 different types of produce that was grown here at Elehua. I would give a box of produce away to a student in need. And that box of produce would come from either from Lelahua students, Iliahi students, Ka'ala students, Wahiwa L, all the Wahiwa complex students. Mm. I tried to reach all the different schools as best as we could. 
Mm-hmm. We were able to do quite a few boxes. So I would sell 80 boxes and I would give away 80 boxes to students. And the way that I would find out what students would actually need the boxes is I would contact the counselors. Mm. I'd be like, I sold a hundred boxes this week. I'm going to have a hundred boxes to give away. Can you please make sure a hundred parents or students are able to pick up these boxes on this specific day? And a lot of the teachers were like, you're what? I'm like, I'm giving away produce. And in these boxes, I would give the produce. I would give a recipe card and I would give a list of everything that's in the box. And on the back would be different, easy recipes that the students had either created or found Mm. that they could use in these boxes. Mm. And the students felt so rewarded being able to harvest these vegetables, pack it all up and see these families take these boxes. And so along the way, you were kind of shifting and pivoting in the direction of ag tech, right? Because one of the problems of the pandemic was that labor was locked down and you weren't able to produce with the labor that you had. So you had to come yes. up with a solution, right? What was what was happening there? And how, how were the funds, once they started to come in, the grant that you got, mm-hmm. how were the funds being used? So one of it was to make my greenhouse solar. So my hydroponic greenhouse, which I'm able to produce a lot more easier, cleaner. I could, I could run my hydroponic greenhouse, which is a hundred foot house by myself, because all I'm doing is checking so many tanks and making sure that the pumps are running. With the gear grant, I am, I was able to purchase solar panels, a whole new cloth, and I'm able to get new systems that I am able to produce more food out of just that hundred foot greenhouse compared to the rest of the acreage that I have. So with that gear grant, I am able to have solar panels that just in case the electricity goes out, because in Wahoo, when it rains, it rains hard. And sometimes the electricity goes out for a while. Mm-hmm. So I have the solar panels to back that up, to run all my pumps, to produce all these lettuces, cucumbers, cilantro, parsley, all these other produce that I don't have to technically do in the ground. Mm-hmm. Much more faster. It produces faster than it does traditional. And it's a much more cleaner process mm-hmm. than the traditional farming. Wow. And how are you communicating with your partners at the different schools and the different agencies? Like, how did you get them on the same page to understand the vision and the mission that you had as your team was moving forward with this? My first contact was straight to the principals and the principals were just ecstatic. They were like, you're oh, doing what? I can imagine. I want to, I want to make sure that the students who are low income, having a hard time, at least have something, you know? And they were without a doubt willing. I didn't even have to ask twice. I didn't have to go in for any meetings. I didn't have to meet anybody. They were like, tell me the date, Jackie. Tell me how many. And we will make sure that they're there for their pickup. And all I did was set up my truck, put my banner up. I had the list. And all they had to do was sign up for the boxes that they received their box and they were given their box. Mm. And it was the schools pretty much did everything. All I had to say is I'm harvesting everything today, this day come up for pickup that afternoon. Mm. And they went. When I had to sell the boxes, when people understood what the purpose was, they would buy two to three boxes. They Mm. didn't care what was in the box. (laughs) They were like, let me buy two to three. And then you know what? Donate those boxes. I don't need the vegetables. Donate those boxes to the students in need. So add, however, if you got a hundred, buy three boxes additional. Go ahead and add that for them. I was like, you guys are amazing. Wow. That's, That's giving me goosebumps. 
here in Hawaii, we call it chicken skin. I'm sure people on the mainland who are listening to this are, are feeling the same thing. And so, okay, so two, two more questions then before we go to our second break. So your, your proposal, your solution to the problem, which involved ag tech and the way that you pulled the community together and you were looking to kind of the long-term future of the relationship between agriculture and food production in your community was arrived at by looking at all the possible negative and positive ramifications, which means that I call it something, you know, there's a, there's a word for it. It's called solutionary when you look at both the positive and negative. So for example, Jackie, something like automated lettuce growing in a hydroponic environment, for example, el- eliminates jobs that people might depend on. So what were you thinking about when you were contemplating these possible unintended or intended consequences? And as you moved through the gear grant, we're getting this whole thing moving. When it came to that type of thing, you're always going to need somebody to run it. You may not need as many, but as long as you have the knowledge on how to run it, you're a reliable source. Hmm. So when we did the hydroponics or even the farm bots, I did get farm bots as well. Being hmm. the students still need to be able to code. It does not run by itself. You still need to have the knowledge on how to code, what to put in to make these machines work. You still have to be able to have these drones fly up to water, fertilize, spray, whatever, but you need to understand how they work. So giving my students the knowledge on how everything runs and understanding that these are jobs that are needed, people are needed for these jobs. A lot of people don't think that technology and agriculture go together. But if you can understand that technology is coding, anything to do with that technology is checking pH, checking TDS, checking pumps, understanding how pumps work, understanding what the range is for lettuce to grow. Machines can't do that. You need to be able to put the answers into the machine so they understand it. You're still really needed. And a lot of people don't understand that. So if I can teach you that aspect, you are going to be one of the people that they're going to want. You're going to be needed in this community. Yeah, that's great, Jackie. I mean, we it seems like in the conversation and education around robotics and, and job loss and all of that, it's too simple. People are taking too simple of an approach. It's sort of like, oh, robots are coming. We're, we're all going to lose our jobs. It's just so much more complicated than that. And it's, and it's possible to be so much more optimistic if you think about it the way that you're thinking about it, which is look at all these elements of these new jobs that you can learn and be skilled at, and you'll have your place. You'll have your opportunity to make your contribution. So that's, that's really helpful, Jackie. So one more question before we go to break. What is your advice to educators out there who might be hesitating about applying for an innovation grant, like the history teacher, the music teacher, the biology teacher? What would you say to them? All you can hear is no. No never hurt anybody. You know, you try, you take a chance. If you get it, awesome. But if you don't, you try That's the best you can do. And you're trying for your students. If you believe in something, you put the time in it to really dig down into the the application and put your heart and soul in the application, I guarantee you, you do well. But if you have a call it or just, ah, I'll put a few sentences there and ah, maybe we'll get it. That's, it's the same thing with your students. You know, you ask your students to really, okay, I want a whole paragraph and you only get three sentences. You know, you really have to put your heart in. So really take the time to sit there, prioritize what you want. 
visualize what you want and see if this is something that can benefit my students. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to really take the time because the application process, it, it was tedious. It, it was a lot. Mm. So it's to sit there and really put your thoughts and feelings into this application. It never hurts to try. All you can hear is no, and that doesn't hurt anybody. That's great, Jackie. It goes right back to what you were talking about earlier, which is about modeling. And when you model that, then your students will rise to that level. It just happens that way, right? That's awesome. So hey, everyone, stay with us. We'll be back with more questions for Jackie in a moment. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at UNR. ULR.com. Mahalo. Everyone, we are back with Jackie Freitas, a natural resources teacher at Lelehua High School on the island of Oahu. So, Jackie, you were recently featured in a 2022 film titled Scaling Up, which the Hawaii International Film Festival awarded as an official selection, which is awesome. And I'm going to read the film's description from Making Waves Films' website. So, quote, Amid the COVID-19 pandemic, local farmers, entrepreneurs, elected officials, and other stakeholders share their vision for growing Hawaii's agricultural sector with the aim of increasing the state's food supply and diversifying the economy. Scaling up Hawaii's food future captures a crucial juncture in Hawaii's future in the movement for a paradigm shift to sustainable agriculture. So I have two questions based on this short film. So I know this sounds goofy, Jackie, but Educators are not often featured in films. They labor invisibly doing the beautiful, noble work of teaching. And so what did it feel like to see yourself on film and hear yourself speaking to what eventually would be a film festival audience? It was very rewarding. I am I am as humble as they can be. I give all the credit to the students. I do not take any credit because I can just have the ideas but my students are the ones that make everything happen. I can be like, okay, guys, I want to redo this field. And if I'm the only one working, it doesn't benefit. So when it came to that, I was, I was very humble. I was, I'm not the one to take the credit for anything. I give all the credit to the students. And I try to portray that. I'm like, nope, it's not me. You guys want to talk? You can talk to the kids, but they keep, no, we need you. I'm like, ah. Oh. Okay, you know, I that's that's not my spotlight. This 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 right here is pretty much my home, but my my students are the ones who make it home. They're the ones that run this program. I just 
come up with ideas and like, what do you guys think? And they're like, okay, sure. So same thing. I, I was very humbled and very honored to be able to do that, but I give all the credits to my students. Mm, I think you and I are alike. My first career was as a chef, but I was not that frontline chef. I couldn't be that person, you know, with the tall hat and the flame coming out of the pan. I was the behind the curtain prep guy. I stayed out of sight as much as possible. And that's still very true for me today. I know it sounds weird to say that given I'm a podcast host, but I really, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I really feel like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of setting the table so that educators and education leaders have an opportunity to do the cooking, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and so yeah. that's, that's really awesome. So for a moment, and I know Jackie, this is a big question, but I I just had to take the opportunity to ask you. So I'm going to appoint you as director of the Department of Agriculture in Hawaii. So what is your vision for growing the state of Hawaii's agricultural sector while creating a sustainable and local food supply? So yes, we do have conventional farming here in Hawaii, which benefits a lot of us, but I want to be able to, if I was in Department of Ag, I really want to educate our farmers on organic farming. I really want to be able to give them the tools and resources that they need to grow things organically. It does not only help the earth, but it also helps people understand more. So right now we do not have a lot of people, a lot of organically certified farms. There's so much paperwork that comes behind it that these farmers are not able to keep up with because farmers, they just want to farm. Yeah. You know, that's what, the, that's what they do. That's what they enjoy doing. That. But if you have to sit there and roadmap every little detail, I sprayed this, I did this, I fertilized this every day. That's where you get farmers deterred. They are, I don't want to do this process. Right. If there was a way, which I'm in the process of hopefully doing mm. is organic certifying my students where they're able to go out to farms and do the paperwork and help these farmers out. That is my vision. I would love my students. They learned it here. They were able to do it here at our farm. They understand the paperwork process. They understand the protocols because our farmers are not the youngest people in the world. Mm -hmm. They don't, some of them don't understand how to do this. So if I'm able to give them these farm technicians, organic farm technicians who are certified, go out to the farm and be okay. This is what we're going to do. Then we're going to fill out. We're going to do this. You spray and they do all the paperwork for these farmers to get them in a routine. Maybe make it a little easier. Every time you fertilize, all you do is write it right here. This is the form you're going to do. And just, just write it right there as if you're documenting. Mm-hmm. Anytime you harvest, it, just make the paperwork and the this a toolkit easy for the farmers. So they're able to just farm. You know, they don't really have to think of everything because these farm technicians are going out to help them. That, that would be the greatest thing. Then you're bringing down a lot, lot less chemicals and fertilizers and a lot more natural. Wow. That, that would be a, a great thing. That's just an extraordinary vision, Jackie. I'm just thinking how amazing it is when you think about the idea that you invest in human capital, your students, and you give them the resources and the skills and the knowledge, and then you send them out to invest in the human capital that's out there doing the farming. And in that process, you're actually, going back to what we talked about earlier, your young people are shaping the future of ag in Hawaii, right? Yep, exactly. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I'm going to add one more question to the scaling up (laughs) film section right here. So scaling up features stories about folks growing cacao and making chocolate in Hawaii or growing sugarcane to make boutique rum. So to what extent do your students learn about these type of ag businesses and products? Yeah. So that pretty much is value added products. Yep. So taking something, whether it's Wambach and making it into kimchi and being able to mm-hmm. manufacture and, and release that out to the public. Value added products are something that we are currently really starting to look into because right down the road, we're going to have a value added center that is going to be run by, I think, Leeward Community College. So farmers would be able to take their product, whether it's mamaki, take it to this facility to then process to become a maki tea, which will alleviate a lot of the prices for our farmers to do Mm. the whole process because they have everything in one facility. Mm. So luckily we have that here in our community. So when we start to get a lot more products, because pretty much everything we sell, we sell raw. Everything is going out as fresh produce. We did have watermelons that I could not sell because I was infested with worm. So what I did is we have a, a supplier here who makes vinegar right down the road. And he, I called him, I said, can you do anything with watermelons? And he's like, yeah, I can make vinegar with it. So my students harvested it and they're like, what are we doing with all these? Are we giving them to the pigs? I'm like, no, we're going to make vinegar out of it. And they just kind of gave me the weirdest look. And there's this <laughs> man, he comes and takes all my old watermelons. And a couple months later, he comes back with vinegar for my students to try. And that was all the watermelons that they used. So I said, see, that was a product that we could not sell Mm. but was able to make something else. It's a value added product. Mm. And they were able to see that. So just, I still have, I'm still turning gears in their heads to see what else they can do with other vegetables. I'm like lemons, any kind of thing that we can make a different product out of. Mm. And after this, it's going to be them kind of exploring like what other products are out there, right? Exactly. That that we can actually turn into value add. Wow, that's just, that's terrific. Okay, so couple more things before we finish up today. So all across the country, Jackie, and maybe even the world, folks are reimagining education and are looking into pathway programs. So Hawaii's Pathways began at Waipahu High School many years ago, and it's now actually grown to, I think, 25 or 26 high schools in the state. So from your perch directing one of these pathways, what's their value as a pathway Like, what do you think about the argument against them, which is that they are channeling kids too quickly into jobs or careers and away from a a broader understanding of the world of cultures of societies? What do you think about that? I think Waipahu is uh, academies where we are a pathway. Mm. So academy is pretty much, you choose this pathway, you're going to follow it your high school career. Yeah. There's not really a time where you can change. Whereas our school is doing a pathway where you take the core, which is a beginning introduction course, as well as an upper level course. Whether it's, if you were to do mine, you would do natural resources core first, which is an introduction. And then you have the option to take animal systems, natural resources and wildlife, or you would be able to take natural food production. Mm. So with that, the students are able to see, oh, they're able to ask me questions like, what is 
animal systems. I said, oh, I kind of go more vet tech if mm. that's something you want to do. Oh, okay. What about wildlife? I said, wildlife and natural resources is more of your conservation. That is our native and endemic and invasive species, no hunting certificate. I get them hunting certified in that course. They do a little bit of welding. That's my natural resources and wildlife course. And then my food production is pretty much farming. They will do hydroponics and they will do traditional farming, Korean natural farming, producing food. So they have the option of of where they want to navigate towards. Mm. And they just have to do those two years. But a lot of my students will stick with me for four years because they'll be like, okay, I want to take your animal systems class. Mm. Oh, let me explore a little bit of this. Oh, you can offer that. Let me do that one too. So they actually have their avenues on where they want to explore. Sometimes I only have them for two years. And then, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm going to go to automotive. I want to try. Go ahead. You know, they have that option. But at least with our pathways, they just have to give us two years where we're asking for. They don't even have to give us the two years. But we're hoping that as long as they stick with the core and they kind of get a glimpse of it, it may open up their eyes to, oh, you're offering, maybe that's kind of something I want to navigate towards. Yeah. This is something I want to do. So we're giving them the options. Whereas academies, I believe we're just stuck in it in that core for the whole four years. And if you don't like it, it's a little difficult to get out of. Yeah. But with our pathways, we just, you know, we're like, these are the avenues you can take, but you can go another path as well. Which means that you're in an interesting position, Jackie, because you're really trying to to do whatever you can as an educator to keep them, right? Exactly. Um, So pathways are a little bit harder because they they can gravitate toward other things, but it also gives the students opportunity to do more than one. Right. So I had some that have stick with me for four years and has also done culinary because they took summer school or they did after school classes to free up electives. Mm. Wow. So it's all up to the students. Right, right. Wow, that's just so interesting. So interesting. So Jackie, we've come down to the end here. I have one more question for you. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Sometimes I like to close these conversations by having my guests shout out to a person, a giant upon whose shoulders they stand, if you will. And you shared with me a wonderful and moving story about someone you called your second father, Mr. Russell Wong, whose shoes, you said, seemed almost impossible to fill. So who is Mr. Wong? And I wonder if you can share with our listeners what he means to you and how he impacted the arc of your life and the lives of his students. Okay, this is an emotional one. (laughs) Yes, Mr. Wong was my high school agriculture teacher. He allowed me to take the classes after school just because he knew I wanted to be with my dad. And he pretty much opened up the avenues for me Mm. to do whatever I wanted to do here on the farm. I have, he, he was, he was such a, he's such a great role model. And so many students know Mr. Wong as the meanest, hardest student teacher they could have. He would go and If he didn't like something done, he would throw things at you. That was the old way of teaching. You know, he'd be like, what do you mean you cannot do that? He'd throw things at you, but he did it with love. And that's what some of these kids need. They cannot, they don't understand when you get like, oh, it's okay. Give them a pat on the butt. You got to give them the hard love. And that's how I am with my students. I just don't throw things at them. (laughs) But I give them the hard love. And Mr. Wong, he is, he really impacted my 
my agriculture career, he's the one who pretty much wanted me. I wanted to become an educator because of him. See how much he's impacted so many students in agriculture. You would think a teacher would impact you in history or English, but being agriculture and leaving such a huge impact on me and seeing our, uh, seeing my fellow classmates just excel because we were all so excited to come after school to see Mr. Wong and hear his thoughts and, oh, we're going to do an emo today. We're going to do this. We're going to go fix pipe. We're going to go weld, you know, giving us all these options. It's, you don't get that in English or math class, you know, you don't know what you're coming into. Every day is something different. And he gave us those opportunities. He gave me the opportunities to travel with FFA. He took us on field trips to outer islands to go do salt ponds, taro patches. He just opened up our avenues. And he inspired me to become the educator I am today. And I, const- I, I still go see him. I actually saw him yesterday. And I talked story with him. I'm like, all right, Mr. Wong, what do you think? He's like, Jackie, don't even ask me. You do what you want to do. It's your farm. I'm like, no, you have so much manao and skills that I'm still learning. Like, I'm constantly learning. And he was just one of the best teachers I could have asked for. He's helped me through so much. And he kind of put me and my husband together, you know? So it kind of worked out perfectly. (laughs) It sure did. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah he pretty much showed me what this farm can be and, what, and he's like Jackie this is your farm now you grow it's what you want to do but I am very he just told me he's proud of me no matter how much I love my dad he has never told me he was proud of me so hearing it from Mr. Wong sealed the deal wow. so I tell you what Jackie what we'll do is we'll dedicate this episode to Mr. Russell Wong who sounds like one of those true giants upon which not only you, but many of his students probably stand to this day. That's that's a very, very cool story. And I thank you for sharing it. So Jackie Freitas, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you for being on the What School Could Be podcast. I wish you and your family and your extended community of students and everybody in Wahiawa a very safe and healthy rest of 2022. And I hope the rest of this school year, the 2022-2023 school year, goes beautifully. And thank you for being on the cutting edge, on the front end of helping Hawaii become food sustainable and just a much better community in, in total. So thank you, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me. My editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurahara. Our theme music and musical interludes come from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. This series is underwritten by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store.
The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Friends, these are uncertain and challenging times. The headlines, especially around education, can be relentlessly negative. Please bring kindness, compassion, innovation, creativity, and imagination into the world. We need a surplus of all of these right now. Until the next episode, ahui ho and take care.